You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. We just wanted to give you a heads up that for the next couple of shows, and we've said this already, including this one, these are being pre-recorded. I'm going to be out of the country and unable to record weekly. We're actually recording this one remotely, not in person, which is a, a strange first occurrence for this podcast. It's definitely a different setup, that's for sure. Yeah. So the shows are going to be a little bit shorter and the content may not be as timely. Our regularly weekly recordings will resume in April and we apologize for the trouble and hope you enjoy the shows. So before we actually get into our program here, let's get something to drink. Not as cool, not as epic as the like huge sounds that we have in the office. There you go. Now, do, do you have proper glassware for this or are we both going straight out of the can? This one, this, I, I don't even care what this one. So what do we have? Uh, today we are cracking open Relax, It's Just a Hazy IPA from Offshoot Beer Company. It's a, a New England IPA coming in at 6.8%. It is brewed with Citra, Centennial, Simcoe, and Amarillo hops. And it's um, actually Offshoot's first kind of conventionally distributed beer. So traditionally, uh, the Offshoot beers, Offshoot Beer Company being a literal offshoot of the brewery here in Placentia, California, um, and I guess over in D.C. too, now they have a, a tap room and I think a brewing operation over in Washington, D.C., sort of that area. Um, but these offshoot beers have been basically a monthly beer release, both in cans, uh, kind of themed together of breweries, offshoot beer company. Um, most of the time they are single IPAs, double IPAs triple IPAs, mostly hazy. Um, they'll, they'll say which yeast they're brewed with. I don't know if we have, uh, have it listed, whether this is like London three or, or what this is, but a lot of times they'll, they'll post the, they'll post the different ingredients that the beers are made with and, um, help you differentiate month to month why this one is special and, and what the limited release, uh, for it is trying to embody Typically in the past, um, the offshoot beers are only available online, so they'll give you a heads up, they'll release them, and only if you've been kind of signed up um, and part of the list, so to speak, you can order them um, and either have them delivered or, um, well, delivered here in California or have someone pick them up. And so that's really been the only way to get them, but with this Relax, um, it's just a hazy, they've started distributing it to regular beer shops. So you can get it pretty much anywhere, any local bottle shop down here in Southern California that is featuring, if you would, kind of hard to get beers or, you know, limited release beers or four packs of ye olde 16 ounce cans of hazy IPA, which at this point feels like a like a classic way of, of doing a beer or a bottle shop place these days. I think basically anywhere that you find the breweries beers, you're going to find offshoots since they are connected and probably using the same distribution channel there. Right. Um, this one in particular, I mean, I've had it a few times. Um, it's fairly affordable compared to some of their other releases. I think it's like twelve ninety nine for a four pack, which is which is incredibly affordable. I remember the days back when uh, places like Ballast Point or Saint Archer or um, were starting to can their beers and going to whole foods and trying to grab a six pack of Sculpin and seeing that it was, you know, $19 was just 
I I would scratch my head a little bit at like man I could I could really just go get a pint of this for three dollars down the street. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know quite what's going on. I'm gonna guess probably with the advent of canning and um, just trying to get their name out there a bit more. They kind of built up the hype with the monthly releases and having to kind of be in the front of the line online to get those. Yeah. Um. So now you can pick these up. Um, this one in particular, I, for being like their first big sort of mass distributed beer, which I think they've they've done at least three batches now, based off what I've seen on their Facebook. But it it's really delicious. I like it. It's it's bright. Um, it's got you know the haze like it's it's got your standard hazy, hoppy kind of juicy aroma. Um, being that we're both just going straight from the can, we're not going to get a lot of that right now. Um, but it, that. The flavor, it's just, it's really like bright is the first word that I can think to kind of use. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, and light, I would say too. It's, it doesn't come in as a session IPA or anything like that, even though the, the imagery on the can, which is this, this person kind of floating in an inner tube with a, a shark coming up underneath them, it, it would make you think like, oh man, this is a, it's going to be real light. It's going to taste like sunshine in a can. Um, and and you do get a lot of that brightness, like you said, but it's it is still very much an IPA. You get a lot of bitterness, you get some sweetness, some mild sweetness, and a lot of juiciness. Just um, almost lemonade like quality. Not not on the level of of an Evil Twin uh, collaboration lemonade, but very close. Really bright, lots of citra. One thing that I do like about this, and, and maybe it just is a product of the branding, is relax. It's just a hazy IPA. It it kind of, it, I mean, we're both drinking it straight from the can. It is a little bit of just like relax. You don't have to pour this into a glass. You don't have to take a photo for this. You don't have to take a photo of this for Instagram. We don't, I, I you couldn't tell me that this was a hazy by just looking at the can. It, the word is all that's really telling me that it's one of those unfiltered style New England IPAs. It's just the flavor. We're going all on flavor. And, and I think I kind of like this change of pace where I don't have, I don't feel like I have to take a photograph. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the can itself is really cool. Um, and I would definitely take a photograph of that, but I get your point. Sure, it's, sure, it's, sure. It's nice to have, it's nice to have something that you can just, you don't feel like you have to be overly crazy with you can just enjoy it <laughs> well i mean hazy ipas are really photogenic and they look super great when you're taking a photo and posting it and saying like hey look this is the latest one that i've been trying um we do it for the show every week but it's it's different when <laughs> when every single time you post a photo it is just this orange juice uh li- yeah like paint like orange color in a glass and I just like that. I, I, I like the fact that we're not doing that this time around. Definitely. I agree with you on that. All right. So if any of you had this one, let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at untapped. Want to show off your love of untapped? Check out our online store and pick up untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com, coupon code podcast, to get 20% off. Let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. 
This week we're going to take a look at the classic German style, the Kolsch. The term Kolsch was first officially used in 1918 to describe the beer that had been brewed in Cologne, Germany by Sooner Brewery since 1906. So it had actually been around for a while prior to getting an official name. And when I think of Kolsch, too, I do think of German beer. It's one that in the craft beer scene, you'll see sometimes on a menu, but often it is at a place that is specifically working either on lagers or pilsners or, you know, quintessential German styles and making that sort of the focus of their brewery. That is a very good point. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, that's true. That seems to line up with all of the places I'm thinking of in my head right now. The Kolsch was actually developed from a similar but cloudier variant of the Weiss style. Um, it, it never actually became popular in the first half of the 20th century when bottom fermented beers seemed to be all the rage. Well, and apparently in the Kolsch dialect, Weiss actually means white, which is basically just a cloudy, unfiltered version of Kolsch. So you're you're getting the word Weiss, as in like Weiss beer, unfiltered look, because it came from Kolsch. I don't know what Kolsch dialect is. Colonian dialect, I guess. Very specific to the region, I would assume. Yeah. 25, uh, sorry, 250,000 native speakers. That's interesting. As of 1997. Sorry, hole, hole, digging. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's actually an interesting fact. So prior to World War II, there were 40 breweries in Cologne making the Kolsch, but after all the destruction, only two remained. Eventually, the breweries began to reestablish themselves in Cologne in like the 1940s and 1950s, but you know, once again, the very popular bottom-fermented beers still filled the majority of the market. It wasn't until the 1960s when the Kolsch began to rise in popularity. With production in 1960 at merely 50 million liters, um, the production peaked in 1980 with over 370 million liters. So you can see there was a big jump in popularity there. So to your point about the Kolsch kind of being the quintessential German beer, it, in 1986, there was actually something established called the Kolsch Convention, basically stating that Kolsch beers could not be brewed outside of the Cologne region in Germany. Almost as, as stringent as something, say, like, uh, I don't know, the, a variety of wine in France something up to that level yeah having to be kind of made in that specific region in order to be classified a certain way right interestingly enough there are about 10 other breweries in germany that produce the kolsch style beer but they're not allowed to call it kolsch because they're not members of the convention since they aren't within the region of cologne and if it's not brewed within 50 kilometers of cologne germany then it cannot be classified as an official kolsch interesting wow that that is incredible and if you want to take it one step further, in 1997, the Kolsch was labeled as a protected geographic indication, basically expanding the protection of that style throughout the entire EU market. Um, basically, what this means is that the product must be traditionally and at least partially manufactured, and they say prepared, processed, or produced within the specific region and thus acquire unique properties. So it has to have the exact properties of the Cologne region in order to be considered a Kolsch within this, um, what they call the PGI, um, protection. Wow. That's, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, for a beer to be part of this, like such a, a protected asset of this region, it must be coveted in a way that like, I can't even understand from, from my perspective, 
here in the United States, even on the West Coast, where obviously West Coast IPAs, that's our stuff, right? That I, I, I take pride in the fact that down in here in Southern California, we have sort of been the purveyors and the pioneers of that particular style. Whereas places on the East Coast, let's say, have a completely other style, but when they try it out, it's I, I don't really think I'm not disparaging on it or anything, or I don't think like they have a right to to produce it. Um, it, it it's it's a particular level of regional pride and regional focus that produces this kind of legislation that makes it so imperative that this style of beer be actually brewed and produced at these standards. It's, it's a unique perspective for sure. It is very much. I, I think we see a lot of this in European countries with the styles there, just because of the, the history and kind of the um, culture behind them. Um, very strong, um, very adherent to the traditions, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, uh, there's always the, uh, the German purity law, um, which obviously that's even stricter granted it's a little bit broader than being regionally limited to a 50 kilometer zone but still you know there's there are so many stringent rules um that seem to come out of those traditions well and there's probably a reason for the cults to be a part of that idea anyway it's either the way it's brewed or it's it is the the strict kind of sanitary standards that it you need to have for it to be produced and to be called Something that I mean, if it'd be like if we called a, a beer a, a California common, right? You you want that to really embody what California was at that time, and really the best way to do that is to to kind of have that California flair to it. This, this is true, and um, it also makes you kind of consider all of the Kolsch beers that we see here in the states. Um, they're more of a Kolsch style beer than a traditional Kolsch itself, obviously, unless, um, you know, the breweries here are going to fly back to Cologne, brew it, and then bring it back. Granted, um, in part of this, they say, you know, prepared, processed, or produced within the specific region. So I wonder if you can bring things from the region um, and produce it. But I'm going to venture to guess because of the 50 kilometer zone that it must be produced within that area in order to get the official Kolsch labeling. So again, it's most likely all of these ones we're seeing out here are going to just be like a Kolsch style and right. not, you know, official. Right. Um, getting into kind of the details of a Kolsch, which I'm sure most people have seen at this point, but it's basically a clear top fermented beer um, it's very bright, kind of a straw yellow hue. Um, it's based mainly on Pilsner malts, so it kind of falls into that same family. And a lot of times it's served in uh, a glass called a stange, S-T-A-N-G-E. Um, it's like a traditional flute-looking glass. Very, very close, I guess, to like a, a Pilsner or... It's one of those taller glasses that don't bow out at all. It just goes straight up the sides. Very unique look, I think, in in beer glasses. Am I saying that correctly? Stange. Your guess is as good as mine. Pole. It means pole in German. So well, that would yeah. Okay, makes sense. I've I've seen those glasses around, so that name translation is actually spot on. So the the Kolsch is actually warm fermented at around fifty five to seventy degrees Fahrenheit, and then it's conditioned by lagering at a cold temperature. So it does have that um, the the lagering characteristics of a lager or a pilsner, 
um, where it's cold conditioned, but unlike some of those, th- this one's fermented um, in a warm temperature. Hmm. This style of fermentation also links the Kolsch uh, with other styles throughout Europe, um, namely uh, the alt beers of Western Germany and the Netherlands. So again, a lot of that tradition and kind of the bringing in of all of the cultures there and kind of playing off each other. The cultures, if you would. Yeah. There you go. Interestingly, too, uh, if you're looking at what is typically classified as a Kolsch, you've got uh, around 4.4 to 5.2% ABV. So pretty low, very drinkable. Uh, I'll typically personally enjoy a Kolsch when it's pretty warm outside during the summer. Um, the the cold temperature uh, conditioning of it really lends itself to being served at a very, very low temperature, like frozen glass style temperatures, which I tend to enjoy in, in the hot weather. Um, and then the bitterness is just around 20 to 30 IBUs. So pretty low still as well. So if you're looking to, to get into craft beer um, or trying to recommend a style to someone, this is, this is, this is like beer, right? This, it's, this tastes like you expect beer to taste. All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. This first one, I've got to this say. Is, this one I pulled for you. I'm for excited. Sure. I'm excited. <laughs> All right, the first article we have coming over from geekwire.com is Brewlingo, beer for learning a language. So I'm, I'll, I'll say first and foremost, I'm a Duolingo user. I pay the, whatever it is, $50 a year to have... Um, their their premium language services, so no ads, and I can download their language lessons, if you would, offline and be able to learn a language. I'm planning on learning a, as much Japanese as I can before I take my trip out there, um, but I think I can probably learn this language a little faster than I would Japanese uh just based on your description here at geekwire.com. <laughs> so the article goes on to discuss how Duolingo, which uh, is the language learning platform that Kyle just described, um, they are releasing a line of craft beers that will actually make you speak fluently rather than slurring. So their argument is, is that by getting tipsy with their new line of beer, you can learn a new language. So the, the beer itself, it's, it's, your standard beers, um, it's brewed with a blend of wheat, hops, water, and some secret algorithms. Oh, boy. We're going to go into the puns here. For those who don't know Duolingo, uh, their mascot is an owl. Yeah, green, a bright green owl. Yes. Um, they're going to be offering up four different styles that you can order, which is going to be the uh, spring season owl, the India pale owl, the <laughs> mad amber owl, and the night owl stout <sighs> they also like to point out that the beers do contain alcohol oh my gosh this is that this is just this is so good this is so 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 good what i do really like though looking here at geekwire.com the branding on this is beautiful it's so nice looking i mm-hmm. i uh i really love the way it looks 
You can actually go over to brewolingo.duolingo.com and learn more. You can see the packaging. Um, drink beer, learn a language. It's science. That's their tagline here. Now, see, I'm guessing it's 12 we should, bucks. We, can we buy this? You can't. It just takes the buy button takes you to duolingo.com. Okay. All right. So this but is you notice a- also you notice also here in the drop downs that they are five point they're five point six percent OBV. Oh, uh, <laughs> I think it goes without saying at this point that we don't even need to point out that this is an early April Fool's joke. Yeah, early for us, real late and untimely for listeners, but but a good oh this you trolled me. I mean this is great. I like this a lot. Gosh, this is so good looking. Spring season owl. This is someone's like dribble project that just got put onto a, a landing page. Uh, that is a very so that is a very on point description here. I I just based off of the branding here alone, I wish it were real so that I could, you know, get some pictures because that's what it's all about. Well, the thing is, we talked in one of our first episodes about Lyft partnering with a brewery to actually make a beer. It's not far off at all to expect an application or a, a tech company to partner with someone. Obviously it's not going to impart you with like Harry Potter, like powers to be able to speak a language, but it, it is still an incredible combination of the world of technology and, and our world of beer that it produces this just pun filled, uh, amazing joke for, I mean, April who Fool's doesn't, Day. who doesn't want a beer from America's owliest brewery? <laughs> Yeah, I would love to to know um, whether or not they reached out to an actual brewery to try and get these made or if this was something that they partnered with. Uh, I don't know. Someone someone on staff obviously has a great knowledge of craft beer and the beer market to be able to put something like this together. It's it's hey, uh, Duolingo, I'm, I'm on board. Sign me up whenever you want to actually do this. An interesting thing to note here is that in the description on this fake landing page, they actually link to something that, where they say, luckily, research is shown. And that link actually goes to Sage Journal's uh, Journal of Psychopharmacology to a study in which the results were basically that acute alcohol consumption may have beneficial effects on the pronunciation of a foreign language in people who have recently learned that language whether this is legit or not it looks like a it looks like a real medical test and journal that was conducted in october of 2017 yeah so it says uh popular belief is that alcohol improves the ability to speak in a foreign language so with i mean that there are a lot of different aspects that you could kind of unpack from that statement but it sounds like they, the idea, the initiation for this project was an actual study here in October of 2017 about acute alcohol consumption. And it's a self ratings and observer ratings of foreign language skills. So not only like your ability to think that you're you're actually speaking it correctly, but others perception that you are speaking the, the language correctly. It's 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 a head scratcher. It, this is really interesting. It does say here that 50 German speakers who had recently learned Dutch were randomized to receive either a low dose of alcohol or a control beverage that contained no alcohol. Following the experimental manipulation, participants took part in a standardized discussion in Dutch, 
with a blinded experimenter. The discussion was audio recorded and foreign language skills were subsequently rated by two native Dutch speakers who were blind to the experimental conditions. Participants also rated their own individual Dutch language skills during the discussion. Oh my God. Participants <laughs> who consumed alcohol had significantly better observer ratings for their Dutch language. That is amazing. I love when jokes are linked to legitimate real world things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes it, that's why it makes it so easy to fall for, if you would say, fall for the trap here that Duolingo set up. Um, it, it, that's why I want to, I want to smash this buy button so bad. Oh, you got us this time, Duolingo. <laughs> after you learn, after you try and learn some Japanese, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to try this out. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can barely speak English after a few beers anyway. So this, this would just, that would be bad news no matter what. Our next article up doesn't necessarily come from a beer related site, but it is Interesting, nonetheless, uh, coming from Newsweek.com, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry wedding beer brings British and American hops together. Clever. I like that. So in honor of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's upcoming wedding, the Windsor and Etten Brewery unveiled the couple's official wedding beer, which is aptly named Harry and Meghan's Windsor Knot. Now, uh, got it. Ah. Did, they, did they actually brew this for the wedding, or is this just sort of in honor of this happening i don't know that it's necessarily official but more of brewed in honor this brewery had actually done um a beer for the previous royal wedding for harry's older brother prince william who married kate middleton if you remember um, a while back uh so kind of keeping up with that tradition i suppose you could say interesting so what are what are the beers that they're brewing for for this event or for in honor of this event i should say uh in honor of this event they are brewing up a pale ale um, which is being brewed with barley grown in Queen Elizabeth II's farm. Um, it was also crafted using British and American hops, which represents the native countries of the two, um, obviously with uh, Prince Harry being from or from England and uh, Meghan Markle being from here in the United States. Um, and it's also being brewed with a splash of champagne yeast to probably up that classiness a little bit. Yeah. Ah, that's got to be really interesting, too, because, I mean, champagne yeast is going to impart quite a bit of sudsy bubbliness to it. Um, I could see this being a, a very clear, bright beverage. I'm, I'd be interested to try it. I don't know that I've ever had Dude. a beer with champagne yeast in it, though. I have had beer aged in champagne barrels, I want to say. Ooh, that'd be Probably an American sour of sorts. Reading a little deeper into the article here, I can actually answer your question there. The The brewery does plan to send samples to the couple, so it is it is definitely in honor of. Okay, uh, so long as they know about it, that sounds like a, a dangerous package to send off to the prince. Please be careful. <laughs> yes, um, the, the beer is actually going to be available to the public on March 28th, so that would be uh, two days ago as of the recording of this show, um, a while ago as of those of you who are actually listening right now. Um, and then uh, the beer will be available in pubs uh, in London and Windsor, uh, and also available at the Royal Farm Shop in Windsor. As a fun little note on this article, um, residents uh, will also be able to enjoy the uh, beer 
for extra hours on May 19th when the two do get married. Um, instead of the usual 11 p.m. cutoff time, um, bars and pubs across England and Wales will be given permission to serve alcohol until 1 a.m. It's interesting because you would think here it's like, oh, there's some sports rivalry or some crazy thing going on in some sort of sporting event. We're going to extend the hours. Whereas there, there's a royal wedding. Keep drinking. I just like how how clever and how unique uh, of a beverage that this is creating from from a brewer's perspective on. Yeah, it, it is obviously kind of a, a shtick. It's it's sort of a uh, a good joke if you would for, for this event, but it could be legitimately an actual tasty beverage. This is true. I, I would almost wish that we could, you know, get our hands on something like this, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. I, uh, I was digging deep, 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 deep into my beer history here. And I've had one beer that is coming to the top in my, in my searching. It's called Appalachian from Beaver town. And it's a Saison slash farmhouse ale, that is a sparkling wine slash beer hybrid, perfectly balancing spicy characteristics, Saison yeast and apple tartness with rich honey notes. There's champagne in here somewhere in the description, but this isn't, it doesn't say that it's actually brewed with champagne yeast. It's still, that sounds pretty like a very interesting mix of things that I would not hesitate to try. Yeah. Yeah. It's in a can. As mm. much as, as much as I'm not a big fan of Saison's, that actually mm. sounds pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I just had a Saison for lunch. It was really good, actually. Yeah. Well, there you go. Speaking of weddings and beer, did you have anything specific at your wedding? No. So we were doing, we were actually honestly doing a bunch of champagne. Uh, my family is mostly wine drinkers, not a lot of beer drinkers. And um, we tended to do just bottled beers at that time did not have draft didn't have anything specific uh it definitely wasn't a combination of the the two flavors of both of my you know the new side of my family and and my side of the family so um did you have anything at yours we we got married at a um a state park and so we only had bottled uh stuff available but interestingly enough i did actually have a beer brewed for our wedding um, my good friend John Holzer, uh, he homebrewed up something called 1111 Ale for us, which was a pale wheat ale. Um, I remember I made some labels for it, um, ended up spending a lot of time getting those together, but it was, it was really cool. Um, we had other things, um, bear, we had uh, racer five, which was one of my favorites. Um, a couple other local California beers, um, Pacifico, of course, which if you've listened to this show is a popular <laughs> one in my household. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, had our own which was kind of cool yeah that's that's really cool and and john holzer of the four brewers podcast so that's that that is pretty incredible that that you had something just specific for for that day that's really neat i think i might still have a bottle of it somewhere <laughs> of course you i'm do. not you, no 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 oh i i mean that's a, actually listen. i'm gonna turn around really quick in our okay. office I take that back. I have four bottles. They're on the cellar wall over here in the office, but okay. you do not want to open those. <laughs> See, it's, but okay, I'll justify this for you. It's like keeping a slice of your wedding cake in the freezer for 20 years, but in, which, in your, exactly. Which in your we case, still have in our freezer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not going to justify that. I'm not saying that that's all right. What I'm saying is you've got your equivalent there of, of something that is, 
yeah, it's perishable, but you're not going to drink it. It's a, it's a keepsake. Uh, a memento. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Our last article today comes from pacemagazine.com and it is watch hops being picked at the largest hop farm in the world. And as the title does suggest, um, there is a video and you're going to want to go to the show notes at podcast.untap.com to get the link to see that because we can try and describe it. Um, but seeing it is going to do it far more justice. Okay. So I'm watching the video now. This is, this is my first, my gut reaction here. Cause Tim did, I I'll be honest, Tim does a lot of work for this podcast. He does most of the work for this podcast and he found this link. And so I'm looking at the, the video right now. So what's, what's happening is a machine, a pretty tall machine. I would say maybe 10 over 10 feet, at least over 10 feet, uh, machine with two wheels on it is traveling over a bunch of vines of hop plants, which do grow about 10 to 12 feet up in the air. And as it's traveling over these vines, there's a part on the inside of this, this tractor or this, this kind of machine that is funneling all of these plants into the middle to then what appears to be like shake the hops loose, I would assume, and then have it travel up this conveyor belt in the back and land in a truck that is kind of uh, idling, following along in the back of this. Is that pretty accurate of a description? That, is there something that is, in, going is, on inside? Are there people inside grabbing these hops? What's going on? No. So, so um, I'll just say, I'll just say this is this is very cool. It's a really cool video. Definitely go check it out in the show notes. To your point, there aren't people in there. Um, although most hop farms do handpick their hops, um, at this particular hop farm, which is the Elk Mountain Farms in uh, Bonner Ferry, Iowa, um, they're the largest hop farm in the world um, with over 1,700 acres of hops. So because of the volume that they do, they can't handpick their hops. So they created this custom machine that you basically just described. Um, it, it's essentially a pickup truck with this giant sort of machine thing on two wheels in front of it that it pushes. The driver of the pickup, the one actually pushing this thing forward, cannot see where they're going. Oh, no. Thankfully, um, the hops <laughs> grow on vines, like you said, suspended from the air. Um, and it's mostly in a straight line. So as you as you said, um, this you're machine rolls through. You're kind of following along there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you you're just, like just keep it straight, buddy. Just keep it straight. <laughs> <laughs> you just you it rolls through um it cuts cuts the hops off up a conveyor belt into the truck and then once the truck's full it takes these um hops to a processing plant where they're removed they're dried and then they're kind of turned into what they say is essentially a large hay bale of hops hmm. i would love to have one of those delivered <laughs> a hay bale of hops yeah <laughs> yeah that would be pretty stunning and then obviously those hay bales get sent out to breweries um to be used for brewing um, an interesting thing about this particular hop farm is that it's home to the uh, top 10 commercial hop varieties, but they also grow 108 experimental type hops. All on that same farm. Do you know if all of them are picked that the same way? Or I mean, probably this is about getting the most out of the time that you're spending on on the, the vines and grabbing the hops that, uh, from, you know, the, the most... Um, from the varieties that are planted with the most volume. So you're trying to kind of maximize your time in picking and everything 
This, is, this technique's probably used for the commercial hops. I would venture right, to right. guess that the experimental ones might still be done by hand, depending on what the volume is of those. But with 1,700 acres of hops, I can imagine that there's quite a bit. Yeah. I have seen other um, other videos of harvests where they have different types of machinery that do, do basically the same idea. Um, some of them look like trucks with arms that have little saws on the top that cut the vines down. Um some are just tractors with dudes that are pulling them down. But the interesting thing about this is that it's literally like an encapsulated machine that, that sucks everything in, shakes it out and then spits it back into the truck as opposed to just like dropping it down. All right. All right. So I haven't seen, I haven't seen hops um, picked in this sort of like factory farm kind of way where you've got uh, machines doing the majority of the work to pick the plants. Uh, but I have seen this in action, sort of with a, a very similar looking machine um, on an olive farm. My family actually runs a an olive farm in Central California. And we've got far, far, far less than 1,700 acres. We've got around, uh, I would say, about 100 acres uh, of, of plantable area on the farm itself, um, most of which is olives. And they do need to harvest the the olives via machine because they're grown in a very similar way. Obviously, olives have a huge uh, kind of woody center, a big woody base on them, but these are called high-density planted olives, so HDP. They kind of grow in this vine-like fashion so that, very similar to this video that you're seeing of hops, a machine can drive over the top of this and have these kind of teeth that move back and forth and hit the olive plant to make the fruit fall off into this conveyor belt. And then that conveyor belt will pull them over and, and obviously land them into a tractor that can move or um, be filled up and, and sort of dumped into a, a vessel that you can then transport to make olive oil. Um, I would have to say that the machine that I'm seeing in the video that you that you sent of the olive harvesting does uh, seem a bit more legit than the one used at the hop farm. <laughs> Let me but see if I can send you still. a better photo too. That's uh, this one. So it, the differences definitely are. I mean, it, it it looks very different compared to what they've got here on the hop farm, but the the idea sort of remains the same. It's incredibly efficient it does and it looks like this is the case too with the with the hot plants it does look like it's kind of damaging the crop a little bit i don't know how quickly too with hops the plant will come back from something like this or if it's sort of a one and done you plant each time um but olives are, are obviously a little bit different but we're not drinking fermented olive juice here <laughs> thankfully <laughs> so i'm i'm really interested to just learn more about um, the hop harvesting techniques that, that these farms are using, it, it, especially the interesting bit about this farm too, is that they are, um, located at the 49th parallel, putting it at basically a similar latitude as European hop farms in Bavaria, Germany. So like the hop farms in Germany, we were just talking about, you know, how stringent and how strict, uh, Germans are with their beer ingredients and this this farm kind of it, it has some if you would parallels to to that idea well played <laughs> well played 
Now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. If you've got any questions for us, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question comes to us from Craig on Facebook. Craig says, when was Untapped started? Am I asking you? I'm asking you. When, Tim, yeah. when was Untapped started? So Untapped officially launched in September of 2010. So we're going on seven plus years now. The idea actually formulated um, a few months prior to that, which uh, was, I very specifically remember how that came about. At the time, um, uh, the other co-founder, Greg Vola and I, we had been working together on several different apps, kind of just trying to figure out what to build, something fun, something interesting. Um, you know, we liked making things and social and location-based stuff like Foursquare and Gowalla, if you remember that. Um, I don't even think Instagram was necessarily a big thing at this time. No, um, it definitely wasn't. Gowalla, if, if you remember, was sort of like the Foursquare equivalent where you would check into a place. Um, and it, almost, it was kind of pre-Yelp as well, I would say. Yeah, and it, these this whole concept of like the social sharing and discovery thing was really starting to blossom. And it was something that the two of us really wanted to get into. So I, I was just spinning around trying to figure out like, what can you combine here? And at the time I had just started getting into beer, having transitioned from like your college hard liquor days into trying to find something a little more socially acceptable to drink in the real world. Um, and just popped into my head um, while driving down the 405 freeway here in West Los Angeles. Um, we were on our way home. I was with my wife and um, I just had this thing. I was like, what if you could check into beer and like make recommendations and i i don't know i just i was i spit it out and she looked over at me and she was just like i think you might have a good idea there <laughs> i i mean okay I'll, I'll i'll add my two cents i think it was a good idea i'll i'll say that she was right she was absolutely 100 percent right i i remember calling greg after that uh after that ride home and just being like so here's this thing what if what if you could like check into beer and share it and rate it? And then like the two of us, because Greg's based off the East coast. So he was in, um, in Massachusetts at the time. And I was out here in Los Angeles and we were both wanting to like talk about beer a little bit more. What if that way we could both kind of see what each other's having and like tell each other, Hey, you should try this or Hey, you should try that instead of like just messaging it. What if there was this dedicated service for it? And um, he being the quick prototyper that he is, I remember, I think maybe like three or four days later, he sent me a link to uh, this super basic, like gray and black prototype where there were, I don't know, maybe like five beers in the database of just things that we knew and you could search and check in. And that was, that was the beginning. So I think uh, I, I will say that it's pretty incredible that from just sort of the, the, the hint of an idea, I would say, um, to a, a partnership that you guys put together to create this thing is pretty incredible to be where we are today, to have uh, as many folks enjoying the platform as there are. And I will say to have a Wikipedia article with your name on it, with a company that you guys <laughs> put together is super cool. <laughs> when you make it on Wikipedia, you've made it in life, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Key people. You're listed here on key people. So kudos to you. 
All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us or feedback, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at untapped everywhere. And if you don't mind taking a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show or write a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We always want to know what you think and hear how you're enjoying the show and anything that you think we could be adding. Again, if you'd like your question answered on the show as well, be sure to use the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.